Hey, it's great to see you all. Welcome to springtime in central Indiana. Isn't it nice? Really great. So I hope uh, you're enjoying that. Get that yard mode soon. <laughs> we are on the last week of our uh, series surrounding our capital campaign we've called Reach. As you know, this morning at the end of the service, we're going to receive all the pledge cards for the next two years. It's a two-year pledge, so the next 24 months. And we're looking forward to uh, that moment. We'll celebrate together. Today I want to talk about being generous, and I, I always enjoy this subject because it's so, it's so central to the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the Bible in general, to be a generous person. I want to talk about all the benefits of being generous today. You know, I uh, did a study some time ago on the frequency of important words in the Bible. For example, the word believe, you agree that's an important word, that appears 272 times in the Bible. The word pray... That appears 371 times. Strong, strong. Love, you say, well, that's got to be big. It is big, 714 times. Watch this now. The word give, the word give appears 2,152 times. So you begin to, just by, by repetition, begin to appreciate the importance of this important subject. So, so today I want to talk about being generous. I've taken as our text today 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 10 through 15. This is the Apostle Paul who's encouraging us to be generous people, and I hope you, you'll get the gist. So 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15, our custom is to stand to hear God's word. If you're able, would you please do so? And again, this is the Apostle Paul encouraging generosity. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them, with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. So thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You may receive God's word and the importance of generosity. Thanks, you may be seated. Generosity, you know, the word give appears frequently in the Bible. The whole context of generosity is found over and over again in Scripture there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible, 7,000. And every promise has a premise. Every promise has a qualifier, a premise. So if you do a certain thing, then God will respond by fulfilling his promise. If you do this, then he will do that. And we find this all the way through the scripture, and we especially see this poignantly true in the whole context of generosity. And the reason why this is so, I believe, is because generosity is love in action. And this is really the ultimate goal, isn't it? To love God and love your neighbor. This is the greatest commandment. And so we find central to this love a generous life. Generosity is love in action. For example, if I tell my wife I love her, but I'm not generous to her in, in word and deed, then I don't really love her. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he what? He gave. He demonstrated his love by being generous with the gift of his own son. So God wants us to learn to be like him. And today I want to talk about 12 things 
that comes from being a generous person. What happens every time you are generous? Now, it's on your outline. If you're taking notes, you need to write fast because there are 12 points, and we'll get through this. And so here's the first one. Generosity honors God. It honors God. You know, giving is an act of worship. Did you hear that? Giving is an act of worship. That's why we put an offering right in the middle of our worship service every week because the offering is central to our worship of God. And it's a recognition that everything we have is a gift from God. 2 Corinthians 9, you'll be glorifying God through your generous gifts. Your generosity will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus. Proverbs 12, 31 says, whoever is generous to the needy honors God. So it's an expression of honor, worship to God. Here's the second thing. Generosity draws me closer to God. Sure does. Why is that? It's because whenever I invest my life in, that demonstrates what I'm interested in. Whatever I invest in, give to, am generous toward, that reflects my values, my interests in life. And so it draws me closer to God. Proverbs 14:23 says the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Beth and I have always done this our entire married life. We've been tithers. It's the first part, the first tenth, the first day of the week, the first check we write, just as a symbol of placing God first. Draws us closer to him. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6, 21. He said, your heart will be wherever your treasure is. Wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. So we know that these are interconnected. It draws me closer to God because that's where our heart's going to be. Now here's number three. Generosity also makes me more like Jesus. Draws me closer to God and makes me more like God. Because the most generous person who ever lived, of course, is Jesus Christ who sacrificed his own life. So anytime that we are living in a sacrificial way, a generous way, with our time, our talent, our influence, our resource, we are actually becoming more like him. Proverbs 21, 26 says, The greedy always want more, but the godly love to give. You, you agree with that? The greedy always want more, but the godly love to give? It's right there. I believe that too. You know, we have a couple of uh, current events in our world right now that make you wonder. One is this horrible story now developing out of Flint, Michigan, where, where the population there has been compromised because of the bad drinking water. And it just is so sad, so disappointing. My hunch is when, when they drill down to the bottom of that and, and figure out what happened, probably greed and corruption will be at the root of it. And it's very sad, just so horrible. We've just learned this past week out of Rio de Janeiro, the host city of the 2016 Summer Olympic Games in Brazil, that apparently they are having trouble now producing sufficient quantities of clean drinking water to accommodate the additional thousands of people who will be there during the games. And it's just wrong, just wrong. And probably when you drill down to that, greed and corruption will be at the root of it. We see this happening, isn't it? The greedy always want more. But godly people love to give. Yeah, there's a whole distinction there. Luke eleven forty one says, Purity is best demonstrated by generosity. Purity is best demonstrated by generosity. Heard the story of a father who took his son into McDonald's to get a Happy Meal. Have you ever heard this? <laughs> Some of you have heard this. 
father took his son into the McDonald's to get a Happy Meal. He gets a, he gets a sandwich for himself, and midway through the meal, the dad decides he'd like to have a taste of a French fry, so he reaches for one of the fries, and his son goes like this with his hands, and, and he says, no, those are mine. And it was very disappointing to the dad. The dad thought about it a bit, and he realized the son hadn't come to terms with a few things. One thing the son didn't realize is that the father is the one who provided the fries to him to begin with. He's the source of the fries. He didn't, didn't get it. The second thing is that the son didn't realize the father could bury the boy in fries if he wanted to. He could order up enough fries that the boy could never eat them all. And another thing the boy didn't get is that the father, if he wanted to, could just overpower the boy and take the fries. And then they'd, they'd be all gone. But the thing that probably disappointed the father the most is that the son was unwilling to share out of the abundance of the father's provision. Do you feel, do you feel the illustration there? Can you get it? I know you can. God is a, God is a big fry giver. God, God is very generous to us. Would you agree? He's a generous God. He's a God who blesses. And, and when I am generous, I become more like him. Here's number four. It's on your outline. Generosity is the cure for materialism. It's the cure for materialism. Now, materialism, as you know, is all about getting. Get, 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 get. All you can, put it in a can, by any means you can, you know, sit on the can. It's, that's what materialism is about. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus reminded us that you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. If you have that verse close, you should encircle the word cannot. Jesus didn't say you should not serve God and money, you cannot serve both. So you have to decide. Either you're going to live your life trying to accumulate as much as you can, surround yourself with as, yourself with as much material possessions as possible, and live a selfish way, or you're going to try to serve God with all the resources he gives you. You can't do both. You cannot serve both God and money. And so a decision has to be made. In our culture, you know, we, we, we are all influenced by materialism. The Western world, North America in particular, we are all under the influence, by one degree or another, under the influence of a materialistic worldview. And one of the dangers of this is the connection, the consequence of connecting our self-worth with our net worth. It's so easy in a materialistic culture like ours to believe, come to believe, at least to some degree, that my worth, my intrinsic worth as a human being is directly related to how much stuff I've accumulated. That my, my self-worth is connected to my net worth. That my value as a human being is somehow connected to my valuables. And let me just say, let me, as your pastor, let me help you. You are not what you possess. In fact, the connection between your self-worth and your net worth is not existent. There is absolutely no connection whatsoever, not even a little, not even a touch, not an ounce, a connection between your intrinsic value as a human being and, your, and, and the possessions that you have, your earthly possessions. No connection whatsoever. And you say, well, I understand that. You know, I get that. You know, I realize I'm not what I own. You know, I'm not what I wear. I'm not what I drive. You know, I'm not, I'm, my value as a person isn't based on what part of town I live in. Except, while we may be able to intellectually go there, 
The fact is, all of us are under the influence. And so we're constantly trying to give the impression by all of these exterior means that we are valuable. Could I just, could I just give you permission to set yourself free from that? It's hard, but it's true that you are not what you possess. God sees your value not based on any of that stuff. Are you kidding? When God looks at you, do you think he goes, well, you live on that end of town. I'm not sure I like you. What? Really? You, you mean you drive that car? God looks at you and says, you know, I'm just not sure I'm going to answer your prayer. You're driving a piece of junk like that. That's just not going to work. I mean, isn't that that goofy to hear it that way? It's silly. When God looks at you, he goes, I see you as eternally valuable because of the intrinsic worth that I have built in you by the way I have created you. I made you distinct and unique and special. There is no one like you in the whole world. There is no one who has ever been like you and no one will ever be like you again. That's the truth. God has made you this way, and it makes you incredibly valuable. And in addition to that, God has gone to the extreme expense of of offering the most valuable, arguably the most precious thing in the world in order to purchase you into his family. He's offered the life of his own son. So that God looks at you and your intrinsic value as a created being in his order makes you precious to him. And on top of that, he has gone to this extreme expense of offering his very own son in order to allow you to be part of his family. Look, you are valuable. You are precious. You have incredible worth. And so you can be sure of that. So generosity then becomes the cure for materialism. Last uh, year, during January, we went through this. So we talked about being blessed in your life. And I want to see if you can remember. If you were here last year, see, I'm going to ask you to do some recall from one year ago. I'm going to See how much you remember. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. That's the first phrase of this passage. So say to those who are rich. Now, last year, we actually came to a conclusion about who's rich and who's not rich. And there was good news and bad news. And the good news is we're rich. And the bad news is we're rich. Okay, it's coming back to you now, isn't it? You remember this now. Good news is we're rich. Bad news is we're rich. And the good news is, as this text continues, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's the good news. The good news is that we've been blessed. We have been favored. God has blessed us abundantly. And so he has blessed us and made us rich for our enjoyment. So, you know, appreciate that. Lean into that. Accept that. That God has blessed us for our enjoyment. And that's what a huge privilege that is. So the right response to being rich, because virtually everybody in this room is rich. In fact, virtually everyone, just virtually everybody in America is rich. We, we all have rich people problems. I mean, the biggest problem we have today is deciding what restaurant to stop and eat lunch in. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's tough out there. So we have rich people problems. And the good news is that we're rich. And we should enjoy the blessing of God. So the right response to being rich isn't to feel guilty or to feel bad or, or feel disgusted about that or to hate your country because it's an abundant place. 
The right response is to be grateful, to be thankful to God. The, so the right posture when you're rich, like all of us are, is to be thankful to God and express gratitude to God. That's the right thing. Then the text continues and says, command them to be generous and willing to share. And this way they'll take hold of life that's truly life. And so what we learn from this is very simple. We're rich. That's good news because we're blessed. And we're rich. That's, that's bad news because we have a huge responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. And so therefore God has blessed us so abundantly we are expected to be a blessing to others. So command them to be generous and to help others in need. So the great burden for us, the great responsibility for those of us who are rich is to be open-hearted and open-handed. It's pretty good preaching so far. Here's number five. Here's number five. Glad I turned my microphone on so people could hear. Here's number five. Generosity demonstrates my faith. Generosity demonstrates my faith. It really does. 2 Corinthians 9, 13 says, your giving proves the reality of your faith. Philemon 1, 6 says, you are generous because of your faith. Let me tell you what stinginess is caused by. Stinginess is caused by unbelief. See, I, I don't trust God to really take care of me. I don't really have the faith to believe that God will notice and take care of me. And so I withhold. And whatever I have, I hoard. And I keep to myself because I'm just not, I'm just not confident that if I open my heart and open my hands in any kind of faithful way, that God will actually see me and meet my need. And so I become stingy that's driven out of unbelief and a lack of faith and trust in God. You f I think you're following that. But Malachi 3.10 says it this way, God dares you to trust him when he says, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. Storehouse is the temple, the church, wherever you worship, wherever you're fed, and says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you don't have room to contain it. And so here is a, here is a reference, one of those promises with a premise. Test me now in this, says the Lord, and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing that you can't contain. So the promise is I will bless you abundantly. The premise is you got to test me. You got to you got to open your hands and you've got to trust me with the tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And so this is God's way of proving himself. By the way, this is the only place in the scripture where God invites us to prove that he exists. You may be in the room today and you say, "Well, look, I I don't even believe that God's real. I I, I think I'm an atheist. I I don't I don't have any evidence that God exists, let alone some of the stuff you're talking about. The only reason I'm here is I, someone invited me, and I'm curious to know what you people who do believe in God act like. And so here you're, you're sitting here listening to this. Well, here's a great opportunity for you. If you have any interest, if you have any open-mindedness about the concept of God and whether or not God is real, here's what the Bible teaches about the one way that you can prove that God exists. And you can do so by being generous. You, you open your hands and, and you give to, some, to something that you suspect that God, if God exists, God values. And so you give, you give something you have away. And then you see if God responds to that. If there's a God in the heaven, he'll respond to that because this is his promise. You bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven. Test me in this. Prove me in this, says the Lord. 
This is, this is the one way that an atheist can determine whether or not God exists. Give something away to a godly cause and see if God doesn't respond. I dare you. I dare you to do it. I double dare you. I double dog dare you. As it turns out, God does exist and God will not be beholding to you or to anyone else. God's had these promises laid out there, these guarantees laid out there for thousands of years. And to date, he doesn't owe anybody anything. And he won't be beholding to you. He says, prove me, test me. Come on, get in the game. Check it out. And see if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. Can I get a witness here today that this is true, that you've experienced this in your life? Uh-huh, I have too, Absolutely. So generosity demonstrates my faith. So I don't have any faith. Well, this is a way to get some. <laughs> All right, here's number six. Generosity reveals my character. Reveals my character. In other words, it shows what kind of heart I really have. In fact, the Bible says that God uses money to test what's really inside of you. And isn't that true? God uses money. Because when we talk about money, it always makes people, you know, you feel a little something. You know, the pastor says, okay, everybody be generous. And you, just, you, and you feel a little something there. It's because money is one of those issues that is relevant to all of us and pertinent to all of us. And we know that, that having not enough money is bad and having, having enough money is good. And having more money than you need may even be better. And, and so you, you feel all that stuff. And so God actually uses money to test what's inside of us, to test and see if he can trust you with more. The Bible teaches that if you're faithful in the little things he gives you, then he'll make you faithful in much. Faithful with the little, you'll be faithful with more. Generosity then reveals that character within us. Then number seven, generosity brings God's blessing. It brings God's blessing. Now, I could give you a hundred verses on, the, on this in the Bible. That generosity produces blessing. How many of you believe that? Generosity produces a blessing. I do too. Now, now here's Proverbs 22, 9, for example. Generous people will be blessed. There it is. You either believe that or you don't. If you're generous, you're, you're blessed. Deuteronomy 15, 10. Give generously. Then because of this, God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. That's a pretty good deal, right? You're generous and he blesses everything. You put your hand to. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and 8. God loves the one who gives gladly. And God will make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more so that you'll not only have enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. Generosity brings God's blessing. <laughs> it really does. Here's number eight. Generosity increases my happiness. Everybody knows this, right? Generosity increases our happiness. Everybody knows this. The only people who don't know this truth are stingy people. They don't, they don't know it. They haven't connected the dots. They haven't realized that being generous produces joy in your life. I had, I had a relatively pleasant childhood. I, I know that I, I'm blessed because of that. Some of you didn't have such a pleasant childhood, but I... I had a very pleasant childhood, I think, relatively. And when I think about my childhood, for example, around Christmas, and I ask myself, okay, reminisce about Christmases when you were a child, and what comes to mind? 
you know, what good thoughts come to, your, to mind? And when I think about Christmas when I was a boy, I think about those moments when I received gifts that really excited me. You know, something that you'd hope to receive at Christmas, you put in your order, and I actually got it. You know, that special bike or that special toy that I'd receive. And I can reminisce about those moments. You know, it's like, it was like magical. It was just wonderful. It was so, so, much, so much fun. And I remember that very well. As I've gotten older, and now as I reminisce as an adult person, now that I'm a husband and a father and a grandfather, and I reminisce about moments that have brought me joy around Christmas, I realize that the things that have given me the most joy since I've become a grown-up person are the gifts that I have given to other people. And the joy that it has brought to them. And I realize that what Jesus said is actually true. That it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. You can find that in Acts 20. And so, and so there, there it is. Everybody knows it's more blessed, more fun, more joyful. Brings more happiness when you give than it is to receive. Now here's the problem. When I was just a kid, when I was just a boy, I was immature. And I was selfish. When I think about Christmases when I was a kid, I can only remember stuff that I got. I can't, even, I can't remember one thing that I gave to someone that made them happy. But now that I'm mature and I'm an adult, I have learned that giving is the thing that produces joy in my life. The difference between me then and the difference now is that now I'm grown up. And now I'm mature. And I... And I as a mature person, see the higher value of giving rather than receiving. Here's the problem. There are still many, many people, many, many Christian people who haven't matured to this level, haven't grown up in this level of their character, this level of their faith. So now we still have 80-year-old people when asked to be generous for a, a godly cause, like our REACH campaign, for example, the first response you get is, oh, no, wait a minute, what's in it for me? You know, if, if, I, if I give money toward the REACH campaign, I don't see, like, specifically how we're going to spend any of that money on, on old people like me. So why should I give anything to it if it doesn't pertain to me? Now, when, when I say that, you say, is that even possible? Oh, it's possible. This happens all the time. Because people, people are still immature. They haven't grown up. They haven't developed a godly character. And so they don't realize what they're missing. They're missing satisfaction and fulfillment and joy and true happiness when they open their heart and open their hands as a generous person. But generosity, when, every time you do it, will increase your happiness. Grab a hold of that. Here's number nine. Generosity expands my influence. Maybe you don't care about your influence. Maybe you don't even care. But I do. I think, I think we're all here for a reason. I think we're all here on purpose. I think we're all here on mission. I think we're all here as ambassadors of a God who loved us and did a rescue mission to save us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are now all the carriers of that important message, that good news, that gospel. And generosity, if I'm a generous person, it will expand my influence. You see, influence comes not from what I get in life. Influence comes from what I give in life. Think about it. 
There's a difference between being famous, though, and influential. There are a lot of people who are famous, but they don't have influence. There are a lot of selfish people who are famous, but they don't have influence. And we could name names off the top of our head like that. Proverbs 11:24 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Let that soak in. Psalm 112, verse 9, Those who give generously to those in need will never be forgotten. They will have influence and honor. So many of you know our story, Beth, and my, my story. You know that we've been pastoring here 34 years, 35 years, and that we have always been generous. We've told this story many times. The first few years that we were pastoring here, we, our, our salary, my salary was $11,000. Now, I'm not complaining about that. That's all the church could afford to pay me. But here's 11000 That was our annual income. Listen to me. We were generous when we made $11,000 a year. We tithed our income when we made $11,000 a year. Now, you, you say, well, you're crazy. But listen, I'm just telling you. I'm telling you why, I'm telling you why we did it. We did it because we wanted to expand our influence. Because we know that when you're generous and you honor God this way, that your Christly character grows, that your holiness grows, that, that your influence grows. When you become a bigger person, bigger in your soul, you want to grow your soul into a big, a big person. Then you have increasing influence. And we knew that to be true. And so we tithe when we... Listen, we had we tithe and we had a couple little children running around and there was no money. You all, many of you, you get this? No money. Bills are paid and what do we got left? Nothing. <laughs> right? And when the cupboard's bare, there's no money and the cupboard's bare. Okay, how do you, okay, how do we get through the next two weeks? Well, it takes some creativity, right? Without breaking the law. <laughs> you know, we we had to figure that out. And so, and so we learn. Now, here's, what, here's what's happened as a result of that. We've done this for year after year. For many years, Beth and I gave more on an annual basis to the life of our church than anybody else. We were the biggest givers in the church, and that was true for years. And, and that was true when there were years when there were a lot of people in our church who had an income bigger than ours. I promise you that. And so every once in a while, in fact, on a regular basis, I'd say, we're the biggest contributors in the church, and it shouldn't be that way. And then, and then there, was a, there was a time... When we started attracting people with, with a serious income, we just couldn't keep up with them. And I celebrated that. Jeez, I can't give as much as that guy. He's giving more than I make. So how can I possibly keep up? So those were good times. But we were generous. And this is what, this is what happened, though. God learned something about Beth and me. He learned that he could trust us. God learned that he could trust us. God knows... God's listening to what I'm saying right now. God knows that whatever he gives me, I will be generous with it. He knows that that's true personally, and he knows that's true professionally. He knows that to be true. He knows that he can trust me. And listen, the eyes of the Lord, Almighty God, are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for people he can trust. Because when he finds people that he can trust... He will supply those people and provide for those people and resource those people and encourage those people and bless those people and favor those people. That's what he does. And so he learned that he can trust us. Now, when it comes to this REACH campaign, you know, we set these big, hairy, audacious goals. I don't know, $4 million, $6 million. These are big, hairy, audacious goals. They're, they're in that category. I mean, they're outrageous. <laughs> I say that 
laughing. You're not laughing. I think it's hilarious. I think it's just, I just think it's fun to make big goals. So they've got these big, hairy, audacious goals. But listen to me carefully. We'll submit pledges. People have been doing it all weekend. We'll, we'll add them up. We'll report what, what's been pledged, all that stuff. And whatever that total is, listen to me carefully. It doesn't, listen, it doesn't matter what this original total is going to be. Not really. Not ultimately. What matters is God knows that whatever comes in, in fact, what every dollar that comes in, we are going to spend exactly the way we promised to spend it. And we are also going to spend it in a way that keeps us laser focused on the vision that God has given us. And that's what we're going to do. And the reason God's going to provide resources to us is because he knows he can trust us. And it's going to happen because provision always follows submission to God's vision. And when we are faithful to follow God's best plan, God always resources that plan. And so you can be encouraged by that. If you're part of it, God will bless you. If you, can, if you, if you participate, the favor of God will follow right after you. Now, now here's it, number 10. It's on your outline. I want to finish up here quickly. Generosity multiplies my money. Multiplies my money. Now, this is a big one. This is a big deal. There's some people in the room right now, this is a, you finally woke, this is the first point you heard. <laughs> this has been glazed over this whole time, blah, 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 blah. Generosity multiplies my money. <laughs> How can I get in on that? Now you're listening, right? God has worked out the universe in such a way that when I give God 10% of my income, that's called tithing, that he makes the 90% go farther than if I had the 100% on my own. Now, that's the way this works. If I am faithful to God to give 10%, aren't you glad God asked for 10% not the 90? So God's gracious to us. He, he asks for the first 10 and gives us the 90 that's left over and then promises to make the 90% stretch further than if you had the 100%. You say, now, listen, you're pragmatists and you math, math, mathematicians. You won't be able to figure this out. But in the economy of God, watch this now. Remember the, the, the wilderness journey from the Israelites? They, 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 they wandered in the Sinai Desert for 40 years. And there were benefits that came to them. Remember? Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. God provided food for them every day. This is what happens to people who are faithful. God is miraculously and mysteriously working most of the time in ways that we're not even aware of. Protecting us and keeping us and providing for us. So that when we are faithful to him, he is faithful to us and multiplies what is in our hands. Multiplies it to us. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty five, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Second Corinthians nine eleven, you'll be enriched so that you can give even more generously. And can I just encourage you to play the game? Get in the game. You hear Beth and I say we've been tithing all of our married lives. And, and you may ask me, why in the world would you do that? And the answer is because this is the way to get ahead. This is the way to position yourself for God's blessing, God's favor, the multiplication of, of, of the resources you have. Multiple, he'll multiply it. I'm just telling you, stuff won't wear out. Stuff doesn't break down. Roofs don't leak. God goes before you. Your gas lasts longer than your car. When we get to heaven, listen, you think I'm crazy right now saying these things. When we get to heaven and God 
pulls back the veil and we can see everything he was doing to help and assist us, we'll be going, my God, my God, why, why didn't I trust him for more? Why wasn't I even more generous than I was? My God, look at this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we underestimate, we underestimate this God we serve. <laughs> He's at work. He is at work. Here's number 11. Generosity brings God's protection. This is one that some of you don't even know about. But he brings protection. That, protection on your family, on your business, on your life. Psalm 112, 5 and 6. All goes well for the generous man who conducts his business fairly. Such a man will not be overthrown by evil circumstances. God's constant care of him will make a deep impression on all who see it. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't going to be bad moments in your life, tough times, even evil circumstances. Bad stuff happens to good people, happens to us all the time. The promise of this verse is if you're a generous person, God will provide protection for you. You'll not be overcome. You'll not be overwhelmed by it. Beth and I are absolutely convinced that our generosity over the years is a key component to the fact that we're still standing. Everybody goes through stuff. You've gone through stuff. I've gone through stuff. If, you know, sometimes the best testimony you can have is, I'm still here. Right? I mean, a pr the most profound testimony sometimes is, I'm still standing. Right? I mean, you get that, right? And so Beth and I, just like many of you, Beth and I have been through some stuff that, frankly, would have knocked most people off the course. But we're still standing and relatively functional. <laughs> Leave that up to you. <laughs> and we think, we believe that the primary reason for that is because we've been generous and therefore God has protected us. It, it happens. It's important. Here's the last point. We'll be done. We're at the end. Generosity will be rewarded in heaven. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19 says, Use your money to do good. Use your money to do good. And that's an important word. You should encircle the word use. Use your money to do good. And that's exactly what you should do. Money is a tool. It's a tool to be used. Money is morally neutral. Money has no moral reference or preference. Money is just simply a resource that's neutral, and depending on how it's invested, the outcome goes that way. If the intentions are godly, then it's good. If not, it's not. So money is neutral, and so it's important to use money for godly purposes. If you use money, it'll help you love people. But if you love money, then you start to use people, and, that, and, and that, you don't want that. You say, well, isn't, isn't money the root of all evil? No, no. The love of money is the root of evil. There's nothing wrong with money. It's just there. It just, it's, it's just neutral. And so the way we invest it really matters. And then one more verse. It's in Luke 16, 9. It says, I tell you, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. Now listen to me carefully. A thousand years from now, a thousand years from now, someone's going to walk up to you in heaven. They'll walk up to me in heaven and they're going to say to you, thank you, friend. I know that a thousand years ago you made a little pledge to a campaign at Union Chapel Church in Muncie, Indiana. And what you don't realize is that four generations later, my great, great, great grandmother, who was a fourth grader 
in your church came to Jesus because you made a place that was winsome for her to know Jesus. And four generations later, because of the witness of my great-great-great-grandmother, I became a Christian too. And I'm in heaven today because of the seed you sowed and the difference you made in my great-grandmother's life. And she became a matriarch in my family. And generational blessing began to flow through my family's life. And I'm a product of that blessing that you made possible by a simple gift of generosity. There'll be another person walk up to someone in this room and say, thank you, friend, because I know a thousand years ago you made a commitment to a simple little campaign and your local church, Union Chapel in Muncie, Indiana, took some of those resources and they planted a church in a city where there were people there they didn't even know. But you teamed up a group of folks in that, in that church from your church and you planted them in my city. And I was one of the persons who heard the gospel because of the witness of your church and the generosity of your giving. And I'm in heaven today because you gave. As sure as the world, listen to me, as sure as the world, a million years from now, someone will walk up to you and say, hi, friend, I'm here because of you. You can take the resources God gives you and you can spend them on yourself and you can enjoy them for 80 years or so and then it'll be gone. Anyone here ever seen a funeral hearse pulling a U-Haul? Anyone? Anyone at all ever seen that? Can't take it with you. Can't take it with you. But you can pay it forward. You can pay it ahead. And you can make friends that represent an eternal reward. And that's what God calls us to. So we'll get the right perspective on this. We'll open our hearts and open our hands. God will use us. My wife Beth's going to come and stand with us. Take out your pledge card right now or the envelope you have it in. And we're going to pray over these. And we're going to collect them as we sing our closing song today. So let's pause and pray. Lord, thank you this morning for your goodness and your faithfulness. As I stand here with my wife, we stand in agreement. Where two or more agree about anything that they ask, it shall be done. And we agree today that the generosity and the sacrificial nature of the giving of all these precious people is going to issue forth an eternal fruit. Lives are going to be changed. Children's lives, young people's lives, married lives, adult lives, missionary lives. So many people, church planters are going to go and, and bear fruit, and that fruit's going to remain. And so I thank you for the gifts and the pledges that we're about to receive. And I know what you're going to do in people's lives, and I thank you for it. And Father, I pray for anyone in the room today. Maybe there are people here who just haven't planned to participate, but I believe they're going to. You're going to put it on their heart this week, and they'll say, I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on the miracles in my own life, on making history, changing eternity, being part of something bigger than myself. So help us all to overcome our fear, our anxiety, our unwillingness to trust you and trust that Jesus Christ will be exalted. His name made more famous. His name made more followed here and around the world. That's our prayer today, Lord. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, all right.